Welcome back to this pure football doubleheader this week, all about what a Scottish football utopia might look like. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, what are you waiting for? Because we discussed whether Scottish football needs to develop a unique selling point and whether the SPFL could structure itself in a better way to market and promote our game. In this second part, Gordon Lewis and I talk through what the clubs could do differently and finish up with some ideas or innovations that would improve football in Scotland. Enjoy. What do you think in, in this Scottish football uh, ideal scenario that like some of the clubs should be doing? And this was probably off the back of uh, that tweet that you mentioned, Lewis, and, and kind of shaped the the idea for this podcast. Um, that uh, I think it came from kind of ticketing packages and, and potential memberships that some clubs are putting together. Is that something you'd love to see clubs do more of? I think it's a massive opportunity for clubs. I think as consumers, we are. We're so used to signing up to subscriptions these days that it doesn't even bother us. Um, oh, it's just another eight, nine quid a month sort of thing. Um, I mean, from my own point of view, I've got Netflix, Prime, Audible, um, probably others that I forgot about. <laughs> um, that I think that if, if clubs just got into the sort of... If clubs changed the way they offered their product, instead of just buying a season ticket that you always have to pay in cash in the summer... Because not every club gives the opportunity to actually split those costs up over the year. Mm-hmm. So if you offered a subscription model where you said to the fan, right, you're paying, I don't know, like the figures I've got here is £50 a month. That sounds like a lot. But if you're able, if that's being able to split your season to get a cor- across 12 months, get your, your sort of club TV package, um, the energy into maybe... The, the halftime draws and the halftime draws can maybe even be every week instead of just the home games. You can sign up to a pro, uh, programs as part of that package so that like you're actually selling programs to a worldwide audience of your fans, not just the folk who turn up to a game. Yeah. And then you've got the other sort of seasonal stock like um, shirts, scarves, whatever. Like you could package all these different products that fans buy regularly and stick it into... Um, a monthly subscription so I mean £50 does sound, sound like a lot but if you're taking the season ticket out of it and you were trying to sell this to folk who can't make every single game you're only talking about a, a £20, £30 a month package that gets you like the club TV programme, draws, shirts I think it's quite a hard sell at first because um, folk are just so used to buying season tickets And I think I think we've seen in, in obviously since uh kind of lockdown and coronavirus that fans are just stepping up and and seem to be for me anyway like just th- attempting to throw money at their club um like and just through that kind of blind loyalty and, and massive passion that they have for it and putting something like this together i think the one the big one that jumps out to me and, and lewis i think i maybe mentioned it to you in the reply was like the aber dna yeah um uh, kind of package that, that Aberdeen put together which um, again I'm 
spoken to to Scott at Aberdeen about um, on on another podcast, but I just think it, it's it's something that is a, a big area of untapped potential. And and like you say, even if it wasn't a season ticket as part of it, then it should be something that that clubs do look at to to even uh, offer because coming back to what I mentioned earlier in terms of the, the, the audience of Scottish football probably being kind of twenties, thirties, forties men, like where's where's the where's the kids coming through that? Like what, what are they being offered at the moment? Well if you're if you are a if you are a, a guy with with a small child like yourself, Lewis, then you might want to buy your child the, the the kids membership for for your club and that offers them like a, a kind of a package for that and, and they get some stuff through and that starts their fandom um at a young age that that could be their introduction to the club and if clubs aren't offering that then then what are they offering at the moment for that kind of thing yeah i mean i don't know too much about other clubs um and what they offer in terms of kids subscriptions but we're hibs so they've always had a really good uh, hibs kids yeah. I mean, I think Hearts have a Junior Jambos one. Um, and certainly for my, my son, it was £15. Um, and you get four games a year, um, posters, birthday cards, stuff like that. So that is a really good way for clubs to actually engage with the young support. Like for guys who can't, or sorry, for kids who aren't going to be there every single week. But as soon as they turn 16 and they sort of, they fall off the Hibs kids' uh, mailing list, they just sort of disappear. Unless yeah. they're up to a season ticket. There's nothing really that keeps them signed signed in. Um, yeah, what hooks like, them into to yeah. making that step up. Yeah, so like, I think Hibs kids would say £15. You could say a pound or so a month instead of a £15 package. And then it could just be an automatic renewal thing. That when they turn 16, it might go up to a five in a month, but they get more games or they get a shirt chucked in. They might not be able to make every single game, but it just keeps them more engaged with the club. I mean, sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to think of other things that are really annoying me right now within football. But <laughs> like, I think as well that takes kids out of the, takes kids away from the terraces is that when they, like naturally, kids who like football are going to want to play football. For some reason, we seem to play our games on the same, our kids' games on the same days, or men's games. Yeah. So like, you've got these guys who are like young kids who absolutely love going to the football, they, they can't wait for their dad to drag them along on a Saturday. And then all of a sudden when they want to start playing themselves, they, they can't go to games. And they're just sort of like getting pushed to the side. And I've got loads of mates who used to love going to the football as a kid. But then when they started playing themselves, like they just got into that routine. But if there, were, if there was something that just gave them maybe a few games a year and just kept them engaged, then that would definitely be a massive opportunity for clubs to to maximise the folks that are coming to games here. I don't know if there's any stats the clubs release about how many individuals actually go to a game for each club, but it'd be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Gordon, what are you thinking around some of the, the offers that, that clubs could put together in an ideal world? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I, th- I think a lot of that's really, really fascinating. I mean, I've I've certainly thought for a long time that what, what clubs should be doing is just they should be making themselves just absolute cornerstones in almost everything their fans do in their lives, you know, that, you know, a lot of clubs, you know, they, they all talk about being community clubs and I mean, being beacons in their communities. And I think they've got fantastic opportunities. And I, th- I, th- I think you've seen a lot of that during, especially during the lockdown, when there has been no football and it's kind of forced clubs to be creative about what it is they're actually doing and what it is they're actually offering. You know, I mean, 
I've seen clubs like like Motherwell, for example, you know, putting together like homework challenges or something with a Motherwell twist. And it's like mm-hmm. that's a fantastic idea because it, it takes it takes an aspect of the the fans' lives, you know, kids going to school that is not usually associated with the football club, and it puts the football club in the middle of it, you know, and it you know, you, I think Lewis you said earlier about it's about the engagement and you know there's no limit to how many different ways you can engage your fans. And they don't always have to be around football because being a football fan is as much just part of your identity as it is about going to the game. You know, you're a football fan 24 hours a day, you know, so you should be touching that fan in, in all different aspects of their lives. I've got I've got an exactly the same point written down, Gordon, in terms <laughs> of like clubs moving to be even more of like a community asset, being almost like a sports club as opposed to like a football club um and you could even like throw i don't know like a youth club in there for example um but I'm, i was thinking more around like offering like multiple sports um and having like a i think it's a lot of the things that you see maybe abroad like potentially more in spain where um like i'm thinking like real and barca have yeah. futsal teams they've got basketball teams like i was thinking like that and then obviously you can move into each club in Scotland having like a women's team affiliated with it, which obviously a lot of them already do, but but going further with that, um, clubs partnering up with those local youth teams, Lewis, to maybe like work on uh, whether there's there's the opportunity that they can play in the morning, but then come to the match in the afternoon with all their teammates, um, yeah. for example. And then I, I went further in terms of obviously something that, that I've written about quite a few times in the past, but but esports as well and, and having that kind of arm where they're not just competing in football tournaments like on FIFA or Football Manager or Pro Pro Ev like Pez, but like in other games too, because that's what you see other clubs doing. I, I, when I wrote about it for Nutmeg, I was looking at Copenhagen, and that's exactly what they do. Their esports arm is pretty much separate to the club, and it actually doesn't focus on football whatsoever. Yeah. But it is still Copenhagen branded, um, although it is a, a separate brand that they call themselves too. But they are they 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 work out of the Copenhagen stadium. That's where um, the a lot of the esports training goes on because because that actually happens and um yeah and i was just thinking along along that line and obviously a lot of our clubs at the moment already have incredible community arms like aberdeen that we've already mentioned they're they're award-winning uh community club but but doing that taking that further and then other clubs copying that approach i just don't see why they're not doing it at this time uh, in terms of just what aberdeen are doing at the moment but then taking that further yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I mean, as, as you just mentioned about the sort of community aspect, you know, there is that whole other side to it as well. And especially right now when so many people are maybe furloughed, not working, and they're wanting to volunteer with charities, you know, that's an opportunity for clubs to be saying, right, we are aligned, we support these charities, and we would love for our fans to volunteer with these charities or give what they need. And then say if, if they were going to go volunteer with charities, here's a here's a hibs in the in the community tracksuit top so when you go and volunteer you're doing it as a, effectively an ambassador of the club you know because that's what we stand for and those are our values you know and, and again it's about putting the club out there and being seen out there and being seen in your community and being a, a vital part of it you know there's there's no limit yeah massively like community clubs actually one of the usps i had written down um never quite covered it but 
I do think it is a, a good opportunity for clubs to actually engage that wider community. So I mentioned earlier that um, I'll go to East Road and it's the same sort of demography of guys that are there. Engaging with the actual community that's on your doorstep would be massive for um, loads of clubs because, I mean, our community is more diverse each year, um, which is absolutely brilliant. And, uh, I mean... And at least, especially, there's so many Polish people, uh, and they love football, like mm-hmm. absolutely love it. Like, they're the guys you see playing in the park. It's Polish folk. It's not, it's not like Scottish kids. Um, not at least, but I, I really see these guys wearing hips tops or going to hips games or anything yeah. like that. Like these, these are the future generation of fans. I just wish there was more sort of being done to get these guys to the game. And then there probably is. I'm probably doing the club a disservice or all clubs a disservice. But whatever the sort of barrier is to getting these guys to the game, if it's money, if it's, I don't know, like just the parents don't want to take them. Like the club should just be trying to be as flexible as possible just to accommodate that because... Like, although it may be free today and be at cost to the club, like, if, if this guy buys a season ticket in 10 years' time, like, it's totally paid for itself. I mean, yeah. he tells his, his, his pals in Poland. I'm talking about ideal scenarios, but that's just, it's just better exposure for clubs. Um, like, all these guys will have family in other countries. Um, and if they're posting about pictures in the hip stop, it just gets that brand sort of recognised somewhere it wouldn't usually get recognised. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Let's move on to the kind of final topic that we wanted to cover then and, and that was um more around innovations or, or ideas that we've maybe seen somewhere else and i wrote down sport or otherwise here because i think there's there's probably a lot that we can take out with of sport that, that we can bring into to scottish football or hopefully anyway um my, my big question was uh, and i think i've already covered this but how can scottish football catch up um when it comes to to a lot of these things and avoid being left behind in the future um Gordon, I'm, I'm sure you've got a few points on this, and I think you've you've been quite vocal on this before in the past as well. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And to be honest with you, I, I feel like we've we've certainly um, we've covered a lot of the good points that I was sort of looking to looking to make. I mean, again, you know, we've we've talked a lot about centralizing a lot of things. I feel like I feel like merchandising could be another really good option. Of yeah. a place that could be there could be real economies of scale for clubs as well. Yeah. You know, definitely you look at when, like, when the MLB and the NFL when they come to London for games, it's not just those two teams that are coming to London. It's the yeah. whole league that's coming. You know, and you go to those games and they'll have an NFL shop where you could buy any jersey you want from any team, regardless of which two teams are actually playing in the match. You know, and it, it's things like that that makes me think. You know, we're talk, we're talking about, you know, reaching an, an international audience. You know, imagine if there was an SPFL shop on Buchanan Street or on Princess Street, and you had tourists coming, and a lot of them would probably just buy the shirt that they like the look of the most. You know, but it would be one yeah. of them. You know, and the fact that we're not doing that means that those eyeballs aren't getting seen, and then someone doesn't take that Air United shirt back to Peru or wherever it is they've come from. (laughs) And the supporters club doesn't get founded in Lima. You know, it's, you never know the opportunities you're missing because you've missed them. No, definitely. I've got something down about merchandise as well. And again, coming back round to some of the things 
that I've seen in the past in, in Germany and then earlier on this year in Austria too. But it was it's a totally specific example, but it's just something that I, I really, really like. And it was it, it could be um again, we've we've not even touched or well, I think we didn't briefly mention it, but in terms of alcohol it matches obviously you you can obviously get that uh, across there in, in those two countries and um every match that I've gone to now across those two countries i've been able to take home like uh the a little cup um so you pay a little deposit uh whenever you want to get a beer or, or a drink um before the match and, and they are served in these kind of club branded cups <laughs> um i've got a whole cupboard full of them now um in my, in my kitchen um and i would just love to start like collecting them for scottish clubs obviously as much as i would like to drink at scottish games that that is another story but it's just little things like that in terms of like almost like collectibles, if you like, and and having these little mementos of your club, uh, and I, I think even it could go as well as to say, uh, Lewis, you mentioned that potentially Hibs's season tickets might be going electronic this season. Like, what if you just had like uh, I think a lot of clubs do 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 this already, but not all of them do. And I would love to see like just a little kind of credit card that was basically your your season ticket for the for the for the season you you can top that up with money and that's what you pay yeah. uh, for your for your food when you go to a match and and you just have that as a little memento for that season um, and you and you collect them over the years and that just that just it's these little things that get you closer to your football club and closer to other football clubs as well like I, i've i've got i don't really like Bayern munich but i've got a Bayern munich cup that i regularly drink out of in, in my kitchen um it's just it's just little things like that yeah, I mean, like right now, everyone sort of collects ticket stubs, don't they? But I mean, they're they're not going to be around forever. As we are going more electronic, uh, they're loading them on your phone with apps and stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I'd love to see something like that where, like, it's almost a competition to actually collect all these things. Yeah, and you, and you look at how many people kind of are, are, are football shirts seems to be massive yeah. at the moment and every, every day you log on to twitter and somebody's bought a new a new football shirt for this on that day and it seems to be a daily occurrence at the moment and just uh, I, I don't see scottish clubs uh, very much uh, often and in these shirts that people are buying and i don't know whether that's something uh, entirely different but it's just these things that you want people to start kind of collecting start yeah. showing off and then further to what uh, you were saying gordon in terms of going back going back to peru like do, do you take this back to peru and and uh, and kind of show that off to all your mates and then they maybe want one too so they, they either have to come to a scottish football match or they try and source it online um it's just these little things that sometimes go a long way well that, that, that's the thing i think i you know i referenced this earlier when i talked about it something of a culture shift in Scottish football when it comes to just embracing the love for it. And, you know, there's something that I backed on the Kickstarter the other week, the new Stonewaller magazine, which yeah. looks really cool, you know, and I mean, that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's kind of a new cultural way of thinking about Scottish football that it's fashionable and it's cool and it's interesting. And I just don't know that we've ever presented ourselves like that before. I mean, frankly, I looked at that and I was like, that's far too cool for me. I don't even think I'm cool enough to be reading that sort of publication. And I mean, and again, something that we talked about earlier about you know English football, you know, and, and the comparisons with English football. Well, back in 1995, 1996, English football was not the best football in the world. It wasn't the best league in the world. It didn't have the best players in the world. 
but they just told that story that we are the best. We are the biggest. We're the best. We're the best league. And they told that story long enough that eventually some people started to believe it. And then it kind of became the truth. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I feel like we've got an opportunity to just, we can choose how we define ourselves. And if we're happy with that, that's the story that we can tell to the world and they'll believe it, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with that. But I mean, I think I think I'm criminal myself for uh, even on this podcast. I'm trying to talk everything up, but I've came across dead negative because <laughs> it's just so easy to beat yourself up about Scottish football because the the media coverage we get from our own pundits and experts is quite horrendous. And I think if if these guys, the guys who are giving us our Scottish football information and updates and knowledge away from the clubs i think the clubs are being very positive and proactive if the actual guys in the media um were able to portray that image that scottish football is this brilliant product and something we all have to be all have to be a part of then i think it would just it would just happen (laughs) we would just be happy about the sport we'd be telling our english cousins like yeah did he catch that game i i've I've got an uncle who's a west ham season ticket holder and we talk about West Ham and English football all the time. And we probably never mention Scottish football because I don't even bother asking if he's seen a game because I know he can't be bothered. And if I tell him how good a game was, he's not going to go back and watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that starts with us and the media. And I just don't know how we do it because there's so much, what's the word, like friction between every club. Yeah. And the, I mean, this summer, we, we're saying this is an opportunity to, to stop that with the virus, uh, with coronavirus shutting down football. But if anything, these uh, these fractions have just got so much more divided. Like, well, see, do you know, do you know, what, Lewis? Like, something something that's just coming to me just now is that I feel like Scottish football is what we make it, and I think for me, part of it, you know, I, I know you're speaking about the media, the general media narrative and stuff, but. I think what you, what you see in recent years is that people have just made their own, you know? And I think that's something that Scottish football is fantastic about, is that so much of it is homegrown and homemade. Aye, totally. Not to sort of blow our own trumpets too loudly, you know what I mean? But, like, the three of us, you know I mean? Lewis, you've got the Statement League that you just made up off your own back, and it's become really successful, and people get a good laugh about it. You know, Chris, you've got Sports Market Scotland that, again, no one commissioned you to do. You made that up yourself and you've built a brand and you've built something for it. And obviously I've started this website with the Scotland national team. And again, I've just done it off all back. And I mean, there's dozens of examples for every club and every, up and down the country of fan podcasts, fan media, you know, and that is, that to me is kind of what Scottish football is all about. It's, it's something we all enjoy and we all have shared ownership of and it is what we make it. And we're free to make it whatever we want it to be. I, I totally agree. I, I just kind of think we're all sort of making our product better for the guys who are already obsessed with it. Yeah. yeah uh, you know I mean, like the Scottish Twitter sphere or whatever it's called. Like, uh, that is brilliant, but it's only attracting the guys who are already attracted to it. Um, I don't think it really helps us branch out and get that next wave of fan coming, that different type of fan coming in. No, I, I, I think you're probably, you're quite right there, Lewis. I think that's something I've said quite often in terms of Scottish football doesn't just exist on Twitter. And I think it, it is 
difficult to forget that sometimes or or not realize that that's the fact i think uh when i think about my own personal and just coming back to stuff and stuff gordon was saying obviously uh, uh, we're on we're on the pure football podcast uh we we probably all listen to terrace at some point we probably all watch the tv show uh gordon you mentioned stonewaller like I, i've just backed it as well on kickstarter uh nutmeg has been going for three years or so now already yeah. like these are the th- these are all the things that i class as the scottish football media uh kind of sphere if you like if we're talking about spheres um <laughs> but then the the vast majority of scottish football fan still counts the the daily record and That's the sun it. yeah and uh like coming back to your point lewis that th- those are the the kind of areas that the clubs need to start uh, kind of attracting and turning uh, their them around to the other way of Scottish football, of, of thinking about Scottish football. Yeah. And it's something that the league needs to start doing as well in terms of, I don't know, I, I don't know the answer to it, whether it's like trying to engage with some some new journalists at these papers to, to really like push the, the positive message of Scottish football. And I know uh, I'm totally tarring everybody with the same brush there in terms of uh, writers for, for papers and things like that because I, I know there is some incredible ones that, that do promote the kind of power of Scottish football if you like already but th- there's some that just seem to be the negative side of things and, and it's about changing those mentalities and, and changing their ways of thinking to to, to make it more positive um, and then to, to, to get the kind of wider Scottish football fan into that way of thinking as well, and and getting them yeah. kind of on side with the way that the Scottish football obsessives, like you said, Lewis, do think. Yeah, I agree with that. I as as we're saying, like the, I, I think our only sort of way of extending an arm towards like folk who aren't already obsessed with the game is to contact them through these sort of media sources, so such as BBC. Um, the papers you mentioned earlier, like these are the things that other people are picking up that aren't necessarily interested in Scottish football, and they're only seeing this negative side of things. Like if anyone's listened to BBC Radio Scotland or watched the news over the last three months, they'll, they'll and they're not football fans. They'll have just thought, "What is this? Like, why? Yeah, why are they still arguing about this three months later? Like Brexit was over quicker." <laughs> I just, uh, you, you make a good point. I right? just. I don't know how we really fix it because it's a tr- it's a tricky one because like uh, the the question was about innovations and we're and we're talking about something that seems so simple to try and fix but yet we also can't answer it. Yeah, I think I think maybe if I could sort of throw one last sort of USP into it that I think I think could sort of help in this conversation is that what Scottish football has that. Play, other places don't, and this this is maybe where we come off comparatively better when you look at England, is that the distance between the fans and the players is so much smaller. You know, I mean, you you go to a game in England and you are visiting a multi 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 million pound operation business. The players are multi millionaires. The club might be owned by a Gulf state that you've never visited and you have no connection to whatsoever. Whereas in Scotland. The players are just normal guys, you know, and that distance between the fan and the club can be and should be as small as possible, you know. And it is maybe that is almost a, a throwback 
to a previous era of football. But for me, that's a good thing. You know, it's, you know, against modern football and something that was a bit of a slogan a few years ago. But I mean, why not? You know, that, that is something different. That is a unique thing that we can we can give. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest thing really holding Scottish football back, and I think we mentioned at the start of the show, is that there's no competition, really. Like, there's, I, don't, I think it was in 1985, 1984, was the last time somebody won the league outside the, the old firm. That straight away just makes the whole product guff. Like... I just see the old firm as one entity. I don't see Rangers, I don't see Celtic. I just see the old firm. And for them to have 35 consecutive trophy, uh, league titles between them, like that, that's just criminal. And it, it makes the media pander to these two clubs. So for, for the dealer record, for example, there'll be, there'll be two sections of that office. There'll be a Rangers section and a Celtic section. And the Rangers section will be post positive Rangers stories and negative Celtic stories and the Celtic side will do the opposite because they'll get all the clicks that they want and they need and the rest of us are just fighting for that little extra bit of um, the, the two journalists that focused on uh, the rest of the clubs in Scottish football aye that's it aye there'll be two journalists for over 40 clubs and about three departments over two so like, <laughs> I think that's the biggest problem because until, until there's folk actually talking about clubs like Hibs, Hearts, Motherwell, Aberdeen on a regular basis, getting the news of what's happening in these clubs, what these guys are doing in the community, out to the wider populace, like, I think that's when the, the game starts evolving and starts becoming more relatable to more people. Do you think then that the, the onus then falls on the clubs and the league then, like we've already mentioned? to try and do that as opposed to like taking those messages yeah. in-house and then pushing them out as opposed to then relying on uh, maybe the, the, the previously most popular uh, ways of, of pushing out those messages in, in the papers. No, I would agree with that. Um, it's just, it's probably quite difficult for clubs to actually get any further than their own fan base because mm-hmm. who follows Hibs on Twitter? Hibs fans. And maybe yeah. some other fans. <laughs> um, that's just how Twitter works. So, it this is why I think the mainstream media is so important to elevating the game to a new level because they've got the platform to really tap into to speak to everybody. Yeah, that's it. They, they've got the platform to speak to the whole country, whereas clubs only have the platform to speak to the folk who are already engaged. The SPFL are the same. Like you're not going to get English football fans in Scotland following the SPFL. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when, when Hibs done their, their shirt launch and they had "Thank You NHS," that was massive because everybody covered it, and it was such a happy story that like, it went near and far. I, I don't know how many countries it crossed, but yeah, like it took something like that during a global pandemic for clubs to get anything like the exposure that. Rangers next shirt sponsor would get <laughs> if it hit the daily record. If, sorry, if they announced on the website that I just don't think there's a, a fair playing field in Scotland for the rest of the clubs to really help the league as a whole develop. And my, my, my worry about having a commissioner that you mentioned earlier would be that I think they would look at Scottish football and think, right, we've got Rangers Celtic, how do we push that? How do we make our two sort of cash cows make even more cash? And then the gap would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. 
that although I hate the voting structures in Scotland, in a way it does stop those two pushing things through, like the coach league that they've tried, so the coach teams in the league too. Like I'm going a bit of a rant just now, but <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's so many things that are sort of interlinked, but the common denominator of all the issues in Scotland are these two clubs that are just so much bigger than the rest of us and they've got so much more exposure and sort of no I, I, t- I totally get you i think like for me i look at that and i'm i'm like yeah well do- those are the two big clubs yeah what what's the opportunity off the back of that like what what can we do and and we haven't really talked about too many examples in this podcast but but you look at obviously what motherwell are, are, are trying to do and and how they're approaching things at the moment and they're obviously trying to be different and they're obviously trying to do some kind of unique things um a lot of the time and just trying to be like the not the opposite of of Celtic rangers and, and not the opposite of what a lot of other scottish football clubs do but the fact that they're just doing what a lot of other football clubs you see across the world doing seems so alien um, at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah. just different, um, and that's why they do get a lot of coverage um, at the moment too. Because like what they do is great, but it's it's no different to what you see elsewhere. And that, that's why one yeah. of the questions was that's why one of the questions was how can football Scottish football like catch up. Uh, in this instance and, and it is that it's coming back to that aspect of yeah. where it, it seems such a, a kind of newfangled uh innovation but it's not really it's just them acting like a football club should be doing in this day and age yeah it it, it certainly is somewhat depressing when it seems completely revolutionary what they're doing when when you think about what they're doing it, a lot of it is just kind of really good common business sense you know when I mean, you listen to alan burroughs speak and explain the thinking behind the club and you just think well yeah well that's obvious you know because it's so yeah. he makes it sound like and there's a real skill to that but he makes it sound like common sense i mean they've they know exactly what they are as a club they know what their objectives are and they tell that story and they tell it in different interesting engaging ways you know yeah. and i think for me and this is something that sort of built on what lewis was saying there that a lot of the onus for me, should really fall on on the SPFL, you know, from a sort of PR perspective, that it's up to them as the the league body for all 42 clubs to tell the stories of the league. And that's not just about two clubs. It's about all 42. It's about the stories because there are phenomenal stories. You know, I mean, you even look at this season, I mean, you've had, you've had Cove Rangers come up from the, the Highland League into League Two and they've, they've won League Two, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a phenomenal story. That's a that's fairy tale stuff, and it, it should be, you know, packaged the right way and shared the right way. And this, that those stories should be told, you know. But there's there's stories like that up and down the league. No, definitely there. There definitely is. Like during lockdown, like there's not been many sports in the go, but one that my pals are obsessed with, and I've never got into, it, and I'm not going to say I like it, but I have stayed up till five six in the morning watching it recently. Is UFC. I think the way that they sort of market themselves, I think it's just genius. I, you've got guys who have never fought before, <laughs> not really into mixed martial arts at all. But then the way UFC are able to just sort of tell those stories and make it an event you can't miss. Like my pals stay up almost every Saturday night till six o'clock in the morning watching 
UFC because the way that the Dana White, I don't know the guy's name, who's the yeah yeah Dana White, um, he's just managed to create this whole product out of not very much to be honest, and it's just genius. I think part of that is because that UFC is the body, and the fighters sort of come and go, but I think they do a lot of good work in telling those fighters stories and making them all up to be this amazing thing. Um, whereas we don't do that at all. I think they no. sort of sit back and hide, um, release the league table on a Saturday evening, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and, and again, that, that, that kind of plays into what I was saying earlier about, you know, just just tell people tell people what you are and then embrace it and embrace the good side of it. You know, I mean, if if UFC promoted themselves by saying, right, we've got this new guy, he's coming in, he's in, he's got, it's his first fight in the league, but he's not Conor McGregor, so he'll probably be shit. You know, you wouldn't want to watch that. Aye, <laughs> exactly, aye. If you told the story properly, you'd, you'd think, okay, right, I'll watch this. Yeah, and they make they make like every sort of fight night just this big, massive event you can't miss. Like, I, I haven't even heard of these fighters. And I'm almost thinking, UFC 250, wow, what's that? Like, what's 250? Like, <laughs> um, I just think there's so there's so much more that can be done. But as we've kind of touched it the whole way throughout, like the league body hasn't really been there to to tell those stories, to promote the game, to maximise revenue or anything. It's just, it's just keeping the status quo going. And but until they get the budget to do otherwise, I, I, they're probably in a bit of a difficult situation. Yeah, and it's almost like the they are doing a, a decent job of it at the moment under under current circumstances and under the current expectations that they have as well. Yeah, you kind of hope that the Sky deal sort of, with it pumping a bit of extra money in, it's an opportunity for clubs to say, well, do you know what? We were able to sort of make do with what we were getting before. This is going to be an extra lump of money in, so can we top slice it? I don't know how much a marketing team will cost, but can we top slice a couple hundred grand that goes into the SPFL budget and we really push the game, push out to a, a new audience, um, make it an event. Um, right now, fans are doing the job for the SPFL. Oh, oh 100%. And, and one of the things uh, I've said quite often in the past too is is if, if you're a club, why why are you going out to buy that, that extra player on, on deadline day? Why why not chuck that wage that you're potentially going to pay them on, on somebody else in the, the marketing team? Or, or the commercial team, because in the long run, that's going to have a, a, a really good benefit on the club as opposed to a potential just short-term hit. Um, and yeah, it does seem like it's more... Scottish football's a, a much more short-term thing at the moment than it is about thinking about the long-term. That, that's pretty good as well, is that like, all these clubs are... They've got, they do have the market departments, but they're all doing their own thing and they're trying to get one over each other, but they're probably not collaborating to help each other out. So at least if there was like a an SPFL marketing department, then it would almost be their job as well to make sure that SPFL clubs are adopting best practice. And that if one is sort of going off to the side and be like, here, then they do that. Just yeah. <laughs> sort of try this idea. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I think as well, you know, some, something else we've, We've touched on you know, is is that they could rethink a lot of the rules to sort of almost like untie the club's hands as well and just let them sort of get on with more things. You know, as you mentioned about not being able to put highlights up until midnight, like 
that is just needlessly restrictive on what clubs can do. You know, and I mean, these these restrictions as well on like, you know, photos and imagery from, from inside stadiums. You know, I mean, I, I posted on my on my Tartan Scarf Twitter account yesterday because it was the it was three years since Lee Griffith scored those free kicks against England. Like I posted a video that I took from the game. Now by rights, probably through the terms and conditions on the back of my ticket, the Scottish FA could probably come along and demand that I take that down because that's infringing mm-hmm. on the copyright of broadcaster. But mm-hmm. would that help anything really? I mean it got like seventeen thousand views. And I mean that's those are views that people that may not have considered going to a Scotland game and now they think actually that looks like quite good atmosphere. Maybe I, I want to go. So yeah. it's things like that, you know, you've got to let people give people a chance, you know. No, definitely. And I, I think we could probably continue on this line for, <laughs> for much more than we already have done as well. But I think we should probably call it a day there. Um, guys, thank you very much for, for coming on. I, I thought that was a, a really good chat and, and hopefully uh, people listening as well thought the same. Um, I, I think a lot of people have uh, loads of opinions on this as well and, and we definitely encourage uh, people to get in touch. But, but Gordon and Lewis, thank you very much for coming on. cheers thank you very much and uh, like i said we'll we'll see you again soon and and hope you, you enjoy listening